Hello everyone, this is Dipanjana. You're listening to Slim Pickings, a condensed version of The Lit Pickers, a podcast on books, reading and mm, opinions. Because I am opinionated and more opinionated than me is my fabulous co-host, Supriya Nair. But it's not just the two of us in the studio. With us is our friend and fabulous podcaster, me. Yay! <laughs> me rhymes with yay. It does. We are nothing if not poetic, all right? <laughs> one must rhyme and one can. Indeed. Yes, we can. So yes, Slim Pickings, as you no doubt know, is where we answer burning questions. Your burning questions, dear reader. What is our burning question for today? Today, the question is, what is a book that you will never read again? I feel like, you know, a collective deep breath needs to be taken. Yeah, It's quite interesting because when I think about it, there are only so many books that I reread regularly. Mm -hmm. You know, like you think that you're going to reread books and that you will keep going back to them. At least I do. Do I actually go back to them? Usually not, you know, uh, because because also I'm not one of those people who can just read a couple of pages. Like I kind of need to start from the beginning and go right through to the end, mm-hmm. unless it's poetry. That, of course, it's contained within one poem beginning to end. And that's usually at best a couple of pages unless, you know, Paradise Lost or something. So, yeah, I don't actually, I find, end up rereading that many books. But does that mean I can't think of a book I will never pick up? Of course not. Opinions, I'm here for it. I got actually two books, but I'm going to start with one, which I think a lot of people love. And it is, in fact, as far as America is concerned, I think only America, it could be America and Europe, it is second in popularity only to the Bible. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand has a incredible following, and it's something that I don't know why that it still exists, but it does. Atlas Shrugged was her magnum opus. Okay, let's be fair. I read it when I was 13, 12 or 13, something like that. And I have to admit, like, I was completely into this question of who is John Galt. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, oh, it's blowing my mind. Until I sort of, you know, stepped back for a second. I was like, wait, did he? That was rape, right? And then... Wait, so basically the point is that we should be selfish, which is actually what the book is saying. The whole point is extreme individualism. And I get why Rand feels attractive, particularly to young people who are in conservative traditional structures, because it's like this thing of you can live for yourself. You don't have to live for a larger community that's going to dictate how you do everything. So I get why Rand feels attractive to young people in certain circumstances. But my God, first of all, that writing is awful. Like the prose is bad. The characterization is worse. And the philosophy is myopic AF. So yeah, that's a book that I will never read again. Can I just make a massive confession here? This is a safe space. Thank you. I have never read 
a word of Ayn Rand in you my life. You have missed nothing. Yeah. Is that okay? Because like, I, I feel I like I missed out yeah. on a generation of like people who read that book. And it's like, you know, when people tell you I never watched Godfather or something, mm. right? You're like, oh my God, you're crazy. And this book that everyone talks about, I'm like, I've literally never read this book. I do know a lot of Ayn Rand fans, or yeah. at least, you know, I, kn- I know of them. But I don't know if they actually reread Ayn Rand, because it seems like a chore. <laughs> <laughs> to pick a series of works that occupied quite a bit of my reading time when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. It's like circulating library stuff. Mm. So, you know, Jeffrey Archer, for example, was where I read, like, my first ever sex scenes. Oh, yes. But... Uh, Looking back on it, I actually find it kind of sickening. Mm. (laughs) You know, there's a series of books that has nothing for me and that I feel like if I went back to Mm. would just make me see, you know, like a path to a person I could have been Mm. that I didn't end up becoming. And I'm not interested in that. It's quite interesting to look at popular fiction that is dated. Like a lot of popular fiction is very sort of contained in the time that it was written. And I think Jeffrey Archer is one of them. Mm. And it's a great reminder when you're sort of flipping through these things of how far we've moved in terms of, you know, archetypes of what is manly behavior, for example. What are cool professions? And how can you treat a person? Mm. These are things that have changed really sharply. Things that were written to be cool in early Jeffrey Archer particularly, from what I remember. You just cannot do that stuff anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I think particularly with these male authors of, you know, these very popular books from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, May, our resident Ian Fleming expert, may be able to weigh in (laughs) on this. Like the ideas of what we consider sexy and romantic in particular, just that 180 degree turn is... uh, It was much needed. Yeah. I feel like I'm uh, missing out a lot here because I've also (laughs) never read a Jeffrey Archer (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, you know, what you have I okay, read? Like, I feel really like okay. That I think it now. okay. That I think, unlike Ayn Rand, which will give you brain rot, you might find like like I it might be a fun, fun airport read. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I definitely it's one of those ones where you'd go to the airport, you'd always see a Jeffrey Archer always. book. But that I don't know. And, I just uh, was like oh, Arthur Haley, one. right? Hospital, hotel, mm. airport, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ken Follett. Anyway, a book that you wouldn't read. I have a second book that I will tell you, but go for yeah, it first. A book that I wouldn't read again, and not because it was a bad book. It's because it was a traumatizing book, was Auschwitz. <laughs> I think that book mm. was upsetting. And like I don't think I could ever go back to that book because it like literally would bring you just like the awfulness of, mm. of humanity was in that book. And I read it, and when I put it away, I literally, when I shut the book, I was like, I can never read this book ever again. Because you'll never forget what's in it. Yeah, and like, if I had to put myself through that agony again, not because it was a bad book, but because of just the trauma of like, what that book talks about, I think that's a book I could never read again. I remember closing the book, putting it in my shelf, and knowing that I would never genuinely ever go back to that book. Because sometimes, for me, I might not, like you said, it's very rare to reread a book. But... I sometimes go to specific parts of books and only read that one bit because Mm. I enjoyed the way they described something or the way I felt when I read it. And so 
It's very rare for me to have reread a book, but I do feel like sometimes I just go back to certain parts of books or certain bits and I just read like that bit again. And then I feel I'm like, okay, I enjoyed that. It's so. not happening with Auschwitz. No. Yeah. That, was a, that was the first thing that popped in my head when that question. I have a similar feeling with a classic, Thomas Hardy's Mayor of Casterbridge. Oh, dear. I had been warned. So Mayor of Casterbridge was, I think it was my O-level syllabus. I don't think it was A-level. I think it was my O-level syllabus or it was the year before that. Basically, it was a school textbook. And I had been warned by my father that Hardy's not easy reading. By which I thought he meant that, you know, it's fat and it takes a long time and it's, you know, old white men being old white men, which Hardy is. But Mayor of Casterbridge, like a lot of Hardy's writings, is just heartbreaking. Mm. It is beautiful. It takes you to that place. It's an example of writing that is very much in a specific time, a specific place and you cannot adapt it in that sense to a, a contemporary time. When you read Mayor of Casterbridge, you are taken back to that time. And yet it feels so immediate. It's just a heartbreaking book. I don't ever need to go back to it. Tess is like that too. Tess Doberville, absolutely. I don't, I don't uh, yeah. I mean, I know scholars have to like read and reread oh, the, work, the yeah. work that they're into all the time. But I don't envy any Hardy scholars their work, Truly. to be honest. For me, I think... A good book or a great book or certainly a serious book that I am discomforted by the thought of going back to is J.M. Kitsay's Disgrace. Mm, mm, mm. And I think Kitsay is, I genuinely think the hype is real. He oh, is yes. one of, I mean, he is someone who has redefined what it is possible to do with a novel. I have very little patience with men who pretend to do this, but Kitsay is truly an artist who suffers through mm. his novels. He suffers through his, his thinking, he suffers through his craft, and we get to see all of it. And I think we're better readers for it, which is why also I think a lot of people, you know, try to imitate what he does and then kind of fall by the wayside in despair. And I've never felt, not never, but very rarely have I felt as trapped within a book the way I did while reading Disgrace, mm. right? Like, on one hand... I don't want to turn the page. And on the other hand, I just desperately want to turn the page just for it to end. Yeah. So I feel like I ended up disagreeing with a lot of what Kitsuya was doing in that book, which should make me want to go back to it because one of the great things about a great novel is that it's a conversation that never ends, right? But I don't think I'm ready to have that conversation with Kitsuya again. Mm. And I'm not sure if it's because of me and like the life I've lived and the things I want to think about or if it's because I'm disquieted by what he's done there and I'm like not ready to see his point of view. But I freely admit that now is not the time that yeah. I will go back to disgrace. I love the fact that we've gone through when we talk about books we'd never read again. We went through, here's like some shitty ass books I would never read to <laughs> let's look at the books that traumatized us. <laughs> it's a very, very subtle difference in my books. It's a fine line, people. It's a very a fine, fine line. line. Oh my God. Well, that was another great slim picking. <laughs> Thank you once again for joining us and making every place a whole lot more fabulous. Aww. Thank you, May. You bring the music to our lives. Oh. <laughs> she didn't even say it about me, but here I am melting. <laughs> 
on that note, we will bid you, the reader, farewell. And Bye. see you again soon. Bye. That was it for this slim picking for fatter conversations and greasier talk. Listen in to The Lip Pickers with Supriya and Dipanjana. Bye for now. The Lip Pickers is a Made in India production. Don't forget to rate and review and follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, tell everyone you know about the show. Share it on social media, tell your friends and family, scream about it on your rooftop. It really helps get the word out. Oh, and use the hashtag LitPickers. Follow Supran the Panjana on Twitter or Instagram. You can also find all of the books they've mentioned or recommended in an online resource via a link in our episode description. Thanks. Keep listening.